Thank you very much, Dick. My name is Larry. I am an alcoholic. It's been many, many years since I've been frightened to speak before a group of people. And I would like to share this fear with you, Loder, because a great part of it goes back to my own experiences with this particular meeting and of looking forward to the Sunday morning spiritual breakfast and some of the people who have shared with me down through the years their experience, strengths, and hopes. And the spiritual message, it becomes a great part of each one of us. I never know what I'm going to say when I start talking. But I learned a long time ago to ask God to give me the words. And the words would come. I do have some ideas on something that I want to talk with you about. Just the term spirituality in front of a man's name is enough to scare the living hell out of him. Literally and figuratively. I was teasing about this. I find that the thing that Dr. Kurt said so beautifully last night about the mutuality and about the comparison between human and humor and humility and how these would tie together. And I frequently tease, and I was teasing yesterday when somebody asked what I was going to talk about and I said that I probably would give my outstanding talk on humility. I think that was the thing that tricked Dick into inviting me to come up here. He's heard it before. But Geraldine, our lovely Mrs. God, if she's here, I wish she'd raise her hand, told me to be sure and say that I have been appointed as president of Humility, Inc. (laughs) And not too many people get that appointment directly from God herself. (laughs) I thought maybe what I might like to do today would be to take all of you on a trip to Albuquerque. I don't know if any of you are interested in Albuquerque or not. Actually, I think it's one of the more beautiful cities in this country. And the University South Golf Course there is one of the most outstanding golf courses in the United States. Has a great deal to recommend it. But I use the trip to Albuquerque not with any intention of having anybody go to Albuquerque, although I would love to go there and frequently do. So there's a way of an analogy to help to bring us perhaps into an understanding of humility, of what we are, how we got here, and where we're going, and perhaps to try to tie this in some of the things that we know about brain function and also the development of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And also, to a certain extent, to tie it into humility. 
which is defined in the 12 by 12 book in the fifth chapter as a clear recognition of what and who we really are along with an attempt to become what we could be. And you know, there's no way I can get to Albuquerque unless I know where I am today. If I know where I am right now, I know that if I head in that direction, I'm going to hit Albuquerque. And if any of you would like to check it out, the direction is roughly correct. It might perhaps need some refinements. But that's the general direction of Albuquerque. But I couldn't tell you that unless I know who I am. And I couldn't get anywhere in my life without a knowledge of who I am and where I am and perhaps what I might like to become. And in order to do that, I have to remember always where I came from and who I'm responsible to for where I am today and where I can hope to be in the future. Wherever I go, whatever I do, it's nothing more than just what I have right today. I can be grateful for that. And you know, that's a big step for me because I was never able to be grateful for anything. The trip to Albuquerque came about very much like the thing that we used to use in pediatrics. I was a uh, pediatric practitioner for many, many years. And one of the things that we used to do was to try to prevent difficulty. We found in pediatrics that it was a lot easier to prevent trouble than it was to take care of it once it started. And one of the things that we used to use was defensive feeding. We would use defensive feeding through a knowledge of the physiology of digestion and a recognition that the enzymes that were necessary to digest protein weren't it didn't even begin to be elaborated by the pancreas until the child was probably four or five months of age. And so forcing protein down into a child's gut was likely to do nothing more than to cause him trouble. And the same mechanisms are at work in immunity as are at work in allergy. And if you can allow maturity to take place, the one will occur, the positive rather than the negative. And one of the things that we used to do was to try to get kids from eating things that were likely to cause trouble, things like orange juice and uh, and wheat and uh, various uh, substances like that. And of course, in our ethnic the United States and the waving grain in the fields and the golden wheat and things like that almost takes a place along with Fourth of July and motherhood and other things like that. And we couldn't very easily tell these mothers that they shouldn't eat wheat. But fortunately, Mead Johnson, which was making pablum, which at those days was the only real baby cereal that was available, had in their mixed cereal a substance that we all recognize, and it's known as alfalfa. Well, alfalfa is a lot like Albuquerque, and that's where Albuquerque came from. Because you could tell a young mother, you don't want to feed your child alfalfa. Well, as far as I know, alfalfa never caused any trouble. What we really didn't want them to do was eat wheat, and so we talked about alfalfa to get them to avoid the wheat. And so the Albuquerque comes just from the name of Albuquerque. You can use any other place that you want. But the important thing is that wherever you go in this journey of life, 
Unless you have a clear recognition of what and who you really are, along with an attempt to become what you could be, you're going to be in trouble. And that is defined as humility. And there are people in this program that claim that once you have humility, or once you recognize you have it, or claim that you have it, that you've lost it. At the same time, they tell us that this program is founded on humility. It has a firm foundation in humility. And if I have a program and I have no humility, then I have a program that's firmly suspended in midair and is subject to all of the forces that can be exerted against it. And I have nothing, and I am in very, very great danger. One of the problems that I have, one of the many problems that I have, is a great difficulty in adapting anything that comes along to my own justification. And I was with a group in AA many years ago that really knew AA. They were hard-nosed. And they would tell anybody just how AA should be practiced. And one of the things that they got into was meditation. And their way of meditating was very, very rigid. You did it in the same place, the same time, every day in the same way, and everybody in the group meditated in exactly the same way. And if you didn't meditate this way, you were going to drink, and if you drank, you were going to die, and I was afraid of dying. And so I tried to meditate the way this group that knew all the answers, and I was trying to understand the questions, that they had the answers, and they told me I had to meditate like that, and every time I would meditate, I would fall asleep. <laughs> and it scared the hell out of me. So I had a Ford convertible, and the speed limit then was 70 miles an hour. And I have a spiritual advisor who's the abbot of Trappist Monastery up at Old Snowmass, Colorado. And I jumped into my car and I went whipping over the mountains. It was before they had the nice tunnel through and everything else or the interstate completed. And I went up and I think it took me about two and a half hours to reach the monastery, which was pretty fair time. And I roared up to the monastery and I grabbed the hold of my friend and spiritual advisor, Don Michael, the abbot of the monastery, and I said, Mike, I have a problem. He said, what's the trouble? And I said, well, I do a good job of praying and a good job of contemplating, which was evidence to him and anybody else who knew what they were talking about that I didn't know what the hell I was talking about. <laughs> but I said, I do a good job of praying and a good job of contemplating, but every time I try to meditate, I fall asleep. And he said, well, maybe God's trying to tell you you need sleep. <laughs> For years, I went with the most beautiful pattern of sleeping you ever saw in your life. Anytime I wanted to sleep, I'd lay my head back in the pillow and say, Okay, God, I'm ready to meditate, and I was gone. <laughs> but they tell me that this is a program of spiritual progress. And I have to continue to work the program. And the eleventh step says that we sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him. And I was not improving my conscious contact with God. In fact, I had taken over most of his roles. I had a very, very important job. I used to have to take care of the sun. And every day I would have to pull the sun up out of the void 
and push it across the sky all day and tuck it down behind the mountains at night. In addition to all my other duties, I had to take care of the sun. And I get tired. A few years ago, I was forced through circumstances that are not important here to give up taking care of the sun. And that sun hasn't missed a single day since. I've met a quite, quite a few people in the meantime who have taken over my job. <laughs> All of them heading in exactly the same direction that I was heading. And it's okay for me to sit back and wait until they're ready. But when I had to give up taking care of the sun, I had to start working this program of Alcoholics Anonymous. The way the program is written and not perhaps the way I would like it to be if somebody of my superior intelligence were given the freedom to write the thing the way it should have been written had I been around at the time it started. I'm sure that many of you have tried to rewrite the big book too and it hasn't worked. But I had to go back and I had to start reading the book. I had to start working the program. And this was after many years of sobriety. And the one thing that kept sticking out at me like a sore thumb was that part of the 11th step that said we sought through prayer and meditation. And I was copping out behind my thing of falling asleep. And so I started to try to learn to see if there might possibly be some way that I could learn to meditate or at least learn something about what meditation might be. And again, I went to the monastery and we had a visiting abbot and uh, uh, some of you may have heard of him. He's Dom Thomas Keating, who's the um, retired abbot from St. Joseph Monastery back there, St. Joseph Abbey back in, uh, in Massachusetts, Spencer, Massachusetts. And he was an associate of Thomas Merton. He also was the uh, uh, superior to uh, Father uh, Basil Pennington and William Manninger, who introduced the concept of centering prayer to this country. And Don Thomas also became a spiritual advisor to the Council of Bishops. And has more recently been heading in the same direction that Thomas Merton was heading. And that is toward perhaps an understanding of Eastern mysticism to be coupled along with his Western theology. I introduced myself in the beginning and I said that I'm Larry, I'm an alcoholic, and I am Larry, I'm an alcoholic. I have one other thing too, I'm also a recovering Irish Catholic. And sometimes that can be almost a more difficult malady to recover for, from from almost anything else. And I was carrying with me all the guilt and everything that had been given to me down through the ages by my wonderful mother and by all the other people who tried to make of me something that I wasn't, but inbred into me firmly the realization that whatever I was, it wasn't any good. And no matter what I did, it wasn't going to get any better. And it was going to head heading straight for perdition. And I might as well jump on the bandwagon and go along with it because I had no chance of getting anyplace else. And when I started looking at meditation, when I started looking at centering prayer and the concepts, it began to lead me on a path that is a never-ending, I hope, search for truth, for beauty, 
for goodness, for love, for wisdom, for God. These may all be the same thing. I don't know that. At the same time, I was given a kit of spiritual tools to use. And I was wondering what I was really going to say when I get up here this morning, when I get up early to do my meditation and my spiritual reading. And one of the things that I read every day is this 24-hour book. I'd like to quote from you what it said today. There was nothing left for us but to pick up the simple kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet. By doing so, we have a spiritual experience which revolutionizes our whole attitude toward life, toward our fellows, and toward God's universe. The central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty that our Creator has entered into our hearts and lives there in a way which is indeed miraculous. He has commenced to accomplish those things for us which we could never do for ourselves. Have I let God come into my life? And the meditation for today, which is taken directly from the book God Calling, as most of the meditations in this 24-hour book are, the moment a thing seems wrong to you or a person's actions to be not what you think they should be, at that moment begins your obligation and responsibility to pray for those wrongs to be righted or that person to be changed. What is wrong in your surroundings or in the people you know? Think about these things and make these matters your responsibility. Not to interfere or be a busybody, but to pray that a change may come through your influence. You may see lives altered and evils vanished in time. You can become a force for good, whatever you are. And the sign that was at the meetings and the theme of this meeting, Courage to Change, certainly fits into that pattern. And how does AA fit into it? And how does spirituality fit into it? And what really is the difference between spirituality, between AA philosophy, and between the great religions of the world? Well, in order to travel the spiritual path that I've chosen for myself, and this is not in my way, any attempt towards sainthood. I think that for today, I would probably describe myself as a yogic Christian. I found my own religion, my own Catholic heritage, in a way that I never believed was possible before. But still there are other truths. And truth is, and truth never changes. And whatever truth is, I have to be willing to follow it. And you know, one of the greatest truths that I ever found, I found in AA. And that is, if you don't take a drink, you won't get drunk. That is truth. That will never change. It has always been. It always will be. And for me, it has to be the place where this whole spiritual program starts. But we're told that we're given a kit of spiritual tools. We have a spiritual movement. That there have been many, many, many spiritual movements down through the ages. And most of the spiritual movements begin with charismatic types of people, such as a Bill Wilson or a Dr. Bob. People who were able to influence other people to change, largely by demonstrating to these other people the change in themselves. And where was the wisdom of AA? What is the wisdom to know the difference? 
What does AA bring perhaps that's different from many of the other movements? Largely, in spirituality, you have basically three concepts. And this is true in all the great spiritual movements, wherever they may be. These are sacrifice, they are confession, and they are prayer. And whether it be a Jesus Christ or a Buddha or Muhammad or some of the other spiritual leaders such as a Martin Luther or John Wesley or perhaps a Francis of Assisi, whether it be Hindu, yogic, Buddhist, Sufic, Christian, Catholic or Protestant, Behind each of the movements, you have these three concepts, these three constructs that are invariable. Each has sacrifice, each has confession, and each has change. But one of the places that a comparative study of religion brings us is that very often, as Dr. Kurtz pointed out to us last night, Things like dogma and rubrics and the other trappings of religion rise up around the concepts and eventually the concepts perhaps become lost. In the AA philosophy, I don't think this is possible. I think in this respect perhaps It comes more close to yogic teaching than it does to any of the other spiritual movements because in there there is no defined deity. There is no specific program. There is not anything else. Just as this is true in AA, we're given a philosophy, but each of us is given a mandate to follow that philosophy in the way that we can. And even in the structure of the fellowship, it's impossible for a Dr. Bob or a Bill W. or a Marty Mann or any of the people who formed this particular group to ever be placed on a pedestal because the thing that we revere most about them is the fact that they were drunks just like we are. We identify with those people and we share with one another our own identity. But the sacrifice of the movement is there. The sacrifice of the movement is there. We give up our very best friend, the bottle. We give up the booze that we depended upon so much. The confession is there. Our fourth and our fifth steps take care of that nicely as did this tenth step where we continue to take personal inventory and when we're wrong, we promptly admit it. And the prayer is there, the prayer where we reach out constantly to other people in meetings like this, in sharing, and not in conflict, 
with anybody's inner feelings. And how does this come about? How can this possibly be in a fellowship such as we have? How can we tie in the concept of truth, of recovery, of dignity, of service, which was spoken of in the thought for today in the 24-hour book. How can we do these things? And how can these be functions of a mind rather than something that become just figments of the imagination? Says we sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God. We have to constantly search. It's a travel along a way, a trudging a road of happy destiny where perhaps more will be revealed to us as we go. And we do a lot of this by remembering where we came from. And remember that just as in vice, so with virtue, the constancy is the mother of habit. And once it acquires, begins to rule us like nature. And so we develop a constancy of meetings, the spiritual thought of reaching out to try to help, to share with our fellow man. And we replace the constancy of the repetition of drink with the constancy of love and tolerance, which becomes our code. And always along the way, we have teachers who are just like us. People who are themselves. Alcoholics. People who suffer from the same disease that I have and that you have. Famous Father John Doe. Father Fowler. Famous Father John Doe of AA fame. In his book, Sobriety and Beyond. The chapter on tolerance begins with tolerance as the first beginning of love. To me, tolerance was a part of suffering. Of course, I'm Irish and everything is a part of suffering. (laughs) But as Father Fowl told us, the tolerance really is the ability to reach out with empathy to try to understand the other person's point of view so that I can learn from somebody else what I would not learn from my own experiences, what I refuse to learn, really. And so what we look for are similarities rather than differences in our search and in our study of comparative methods of meditation and contemplation and centering prayer. We look for the similarities rather than the differences and we find them. We find them in all the great religions of the world. And we find no conflict between our AA philosophy and any of these. They're available to each of us. It's a beautiful book, Psychology of Meditation, by two men, Naranyo and Arnstein where they study the various meditative and contemplative techniques. 
And they show very clearly that no matter how you go about it, that eventually you're able to center within yourself. And then as we study the development of the mind, and we go through the old dinosaur brain that's necessary to keep our vital functions alive, as we move on up through the animal brain and into the human brain, and we get into the <coughs> the human mind and the functioning of mind, and we wonder if all of these are part of the evolutionary process, did God, in his wisdom, in wanting us to try to consciously improve our contact with him, to perhaps be able to extend beyond the limits of a mere human mentality and to reach out in to a spiritual realm where we will find the peace, where you will know serenity, you will find serenity, and you will know peace. You know, serenity is nothing more than the ability to experience both pleasure and pain without becoming attached to either one of them. It's a thing that the Alanons have told me about the concept of detachment. And the thing that people like Thomas Merton in his great beautiful definition of love is forming within us a union or a communion with God and then sharing that with our fellow man. Just having it alone is not enough for us. Not if we're going to trudge this road of happy destiny. We have to reach out and we have to continually try to learn more and more about what's going on. In its essence, this is the nature of a change of consciousness which turns a bare existence into a glorified feeling of divine love. In its essence, it begins for the seeker when he passes from the ordinary to the spiritual level and looks with a new heart, a vision, and feeling on the world of himself and others. Love and tolerance of others is our code. And this is the place that we try to reach. This is the place that we go out from where we are today in trying to use the gifts that God has given us so that we can better understand ourselves in order that we can make the greatest sacrifice in giving up of self the thing that we ask for in the third step prayer. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do your will. That indicates to me that I'm capable of doing God's will if only I can get myself out of the way. But can I get myself out of the way unless I know who self is? Throughout the program, we continually come back to this over and over and over again. And we talk about taking action. We talk about reaching out. Sri Aurobindo, one of the great yogic teachers of our day, says that all actions must be part of the God life. Our acts of knowledge, our acts of power and production and creation, our acts of joy and beauty 
and the soul's pleasure, our acts of will and endeavor and strength, and not our acts only of love and beneficent service. Its way to do these things will not be not outward and mental, but inward and spiritual. And to that end, it will bring into all activities, whatever they are, the spirit of divine love, the spirit of adoration and worship, the spirit of happiness in the divine and in the beauty of the divine, whatever your concept of the divine may be. So as to make all life a sacrifice of the works of the soul's love to the divine, its cult to the master of its existence. So we give credit to God for everything we do and in everything we say. And we look upon the aspects of our program, the spiritual program, the sacrifice, the confession, the prayer. In the part of the big book that Dick read, the beginning of the meeting, on page 164, it says our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. The sacrifice comes. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. The confession. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of it you find and join us. You will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. In the beautiful Sanskrit word that many of you have heard, any of you who saw the movie Gandhi certainly heard it. We would say Namaste, which is a greeting. It's very, very much like Aloha, perhaps in Hawaiian. Other greetings. Gatahe among our Indians. To me, it has a very beautiful, very special meaning. It means that the divinity within me reaches out to the divinity within you. This I would like to leave with you today. This I would like to take from you, to take back with me today. To each of you, namaste. Namaste.